You're listening to Tabletop Arcanum, a podcast dedicated to learning and exploring the hobby of tabletop gaming. Your hosts are Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, so sit back and relax as we talk, discuss, and joke our way through the hobby we love so much. Welcome back to Tabletop Arcanum, episode four. I'm your host, Justin Taylor, with... Ricky Geese. And we bring you even more exciting news, tidbits, knowledge, and fun. This time we're going to be talking about friendly local gaming stores, and what about them? There's a lot about them, a lot that we like, a lot that we don't like, and hopefully you guys uh, out there, you can all find your own friendly local gaming store. Also, later in the episode we'll be talking about uh, spooky games, or Halloween themes, horror games, something because, well, October's upon us, so... Let's talk about it because maybe you want to go to a Halloween party and have a fun game. Or just you know, want to kick back, relax, and enjoy a scary movie in the background. And your favorite horror board game to go along with it. Appearing like wine and cheese, but this is board games and movies. Double scares. Double the scares, double the fun. So before we dive into that, we're going to do our traditional role recap here. Where we talk about the games we've been playing since we last recorded. And I'm going to let Ricky take the lead on this one. Put me right on the spot. Well, I have just actually picked up uh, Legacy Encounters Firefly. Haven't played it yet. Got to at least flip through it. Pretty excited for that. Did end up kickstarting Microbrew. Uh, that is actually over now, so it's probably pointless that I talk about it. But hey, I'm pretty excited about it. It's something that I know that me and another player can enjoy together. I uh, played a few rounds of Boss Monster and... Uh, I go right back to Harry Potter. It's a tried and true. It's a fun game. And it's a game that you just keep playing and playing and playing. Okay. So, um, and, well, we just posted something on on our Instagram regarding what you played over the weekend. So why don't uh, you take it from here? Sure. Um, before I go into that, I would like to kind of roll back a little bit. After our last recording, I couldn't be stopped. I finished Pandemic Legacy Season 1. How did it go? It went very well, actually. Other than our, our terrible loss of September, and, and September is a month that we don't want to talk about anymore, uh, for the most part we did very well in the game. Uh, had a pretty good ending as far as, you know, feel-good moment. Really kind of amped me up personally for Season 2, and I have so far resisted the urge of going out, breaking it open, and playing the heck out of it until I bleed. Um, we'll probably be doing a little bit more soon because I want to get that out there and start playing that, uh, and really want to get started with that before Betrayal Legacy comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of spooky horror games, that's coming up, uh, in November, a little bit after the se- uh, the Halloween season, but it's still going to be a, a good, um, good item to pick up. Now, on top of that, uh, the LCG night that I run at my local store, uh, we've been playing on and off. Uh, Arkham Horror, and we switch between the different LCGs that are out there. But we just finished the uh, Dunwich Legacy campaign as a group. That did not end well. I was playing a character called Father Mateo. I had a weakness built into my deck that over time, if I drew it, it got worse and it would swap out for a, a worse version. In my deck was the final version of it that if I drew that particular card at any point during the game, I died. Rough. I did not draw this card. I was the last character standing. Still lost, but 
for some reason, I just, I sat down and went, Father Mateo's not going to make this journey one way or the other. It was the other, not the way I thought he was going to go down, that finally did him in. But that was a, a lot of fun. I definitely recommend going through it. I don't want to be too spoilery on what happened. But those campaigns do great stories and, and really just tell you a tale for these characters. And then you get invested with them, then bad stuff happens to them, and then more bad stuff happens to them. And maybe, just maybe, you'll win. Delay the inevitable. Yeah, that's really what you're doing. Um, the other piece is I got really excited with the group and we are going to do, because it's October now, uh, we're going to be running a Labris of Lunacy 12-player Arkham Horror event in the next couple weeks here. And the benefit of that is it's three groups of up to four players each all playing at the same time in the same scenario, doing slightly different things. Um, the best way I can describe the scenario proper is if Arkham Horror and Saw had a baby. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And while you can play a solo mode and where have one group run through all three parts, it's best played with the up to 12 players, three different groups at the same time. Mm. You get a better experience out of it. The other piece that I, I participated with is X-Wing 2.0 came out and I went to the Gold Squadron Classic which was like the first major uh, X-Wing 2.0 event in the area. Um, had a lot of fun. Did not do very well. I think I won one match. That's pretty much what I do when I play X-Wing. I had a lot of fun moving ships on the board, meeting people, talking to people, um, and kind of just get engaging in that community. And the best thing of all, uh, the whole event was organized and sponsored by the Boy Scouts of America, Troop 301. So... A lot of the extra proceeds and fundraising was actually brought to the Boy Scouts themselves. As a scout, something I am actually invested in myself. So it was something I thought was very uh, a good partnership, wanted to support it. And even though I would probably play X-Wing anyway, that made me want to go even further. Then, last weekend, as you alluded to, I got to bust out a couple games. Um, we'll be picturing them soon on our uh, Instagram and, and Facebook as we kind of broadcast what we've been doing uh got to play art uh archmage and that was a lot of fun i backed down on kickstarter a while ago finally actually hit retail shelves the day i busted it out so that's how it goes it was kind of a good launch day for it had a lot of fun it was a little rough to start um players we had the learning curve was a little steep but once you saw a turn in action it was a little bit easier to pick up very colorful very interesting three out of four of us said we would play it again one person kind of self-identified that this just isn't my type of game, which is fine. We played Last Friday, which is a hidden movement spoof game of those slasher movies. Okay. Friday 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street is kind of the theme that they did on the expansion. So you kind of play one or two players play the psychos or murderers, and then everyone else is your camp counselors. Uh, definitely a good game for a Halloween uh, mood. That's a good one to start with, if you like those hidden movement games. Um, and then we also played a game called The Climbers, where we actually had litter, like, it's like reverse Jenga. You have your little pawn character, and you're trying to climb these wooden blocks, and you can only climb the blocks that you can see over, so you have to make sure you stack them in such a way, but you can only be on your color or the neutral color. But each player's taking these blocks away from the base and building the tower higher. So everyone's trying to climb together, climb to the highest, fastest, and trying to block the other players by placing blocks in their way that they can't do anything about. 
Oh, so a new twist on an old game. Actually, that sounds like a lot of fun. It is. If the tower falls down, that's actually not a good thing. So mm-hmm. you want to make sure it's it's relatively stable surface and no one is bumping your table. Um, so that is really what I've been doing the last couple of weeks. Um, a little bit lighter than the other episodes that I've talked about, but still a lot of fun. And I guess that brings us into our news. So I'm going to pass this off to you. And uh, in news, as you all know, through the past two episodes, I won't stop talking about it. Uh, we did get uh, expansions to Star Wars Legion. Uh, we got Boba Fett and we got Scout Troopers uh, for the Imperial Army. I just so happened to pick both of them up because, unfortunately, I can't stop yourself. I can't. I really can't. That's okay. But I was thinking bigger news. Like, we're on social medias now. Oh, yes. Okay. Now on most podcast apps, uh, we are working to make sure that uh, we get uh, further and further out there so that we can expand our listeners uh, so that you don't have to come and find us where we are. We'll come to you. Uh, We do also now have uh, presence on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you can find us all on those uh, by looking up Tabletop Arcanum. As well as now we have uh, the Tabletop Arcanum email address. That's going to be tabletoparcanum at gmail.com. If you have any questions, if you want us to talk about something, or you just want to give us feedback, go ahead, send us a message. One of us will uh, go through it, and we definitely want to hear from you. And speaking of, we actually had our first official email sent to our email address this week this is news to me well we're in the news section so that makes a lot of sense um so we actually had um gadam hayes i hope i pronounced that right write to us uh congratulations on our first episode and uh, expressing that he really enjoyed our intro outro music from episode two and well you probably just heard it because we just started episode four and one of the things that he wanted to kind of say is you know he's really excited for keyforge uh, which I know we're going to be talking about and getting into. So we'll definitely be playing uh, more Keyforge and talking about that as it gets closer to release. Yeah. Um, and he has a question. I'm going to ask this to you. Why is Dragon Clan the best clan? I would have to say it's because they're great storytellers. Why? They've got long tails. Ouch. That's not bad. Because dragons, duh. Fair enough. So if you want to write to us, we have our email address. Let us know. If you don't want to have your real name, that's okay. Just let us know and we'll, we'll uh, protect your identity for for uh, the safety of yourself. Slash me. Slash Ricky. Since we are on all those things, definitely. Now on to our main topic. We're going to be talking about friendly local gaming stores. Or FLGS. Now what is a friendly local gaming store? To you, Justin, to you specifically, what do you define as a friendly local gaming store? I would say a friendly local gaming store is a it's a retail storefront, number mm-hmm. one, that will have a variety of gaming, accessories, items, something that can support the hobby, and typically will also not only have that that friendly component where you're welcome to go there, the staff or owner is very accommodating or very knowledgeable in the hobby, uh, and more importantly, they have some sort of community building built around the store, whether it's 
they have Friday Night Magic, or they have Warhammer tournaments, or they have card game tournaments, or just open spaces and demo nights and board game nights. Something going on for people to come to and experience the hobby, meet new people, meet new games. One of the things I enjoy about this hobby so much is I can translocate myself to another city, another place, go to a friendly local gaming shop, and have like-minded people that I know there will be easy to jump into, get conversations started, and really just, we're all in the same place for the same reason, relatively, mm-hmm. and uh, going through that. We do apologize for anything you hear in the background. Uh, we just wanted to make sure it was really spooky, so we chose a night where it's downpouring outside to get us really in the mood for our second topic, you know, everything horror-based, board game-wise. Um, True. So, for me, I'm pretty much going to say that you nailed it on the head. I like independent stores, something where you almost feel like you're part of a family stepping into it because you walk into it. Uh, It's like the bar from Cheers. Everyone knows your name. They know what you're into. You introduce me to a store that I now frequent, and he knows the moment I walk in, he goes, Hey, look, listen, I just got more Star Wars Legion in, and I've only been in there a handful of times. He already knows what I'm there for. He already knows what he should uh, let me know is coming out. He's going to make sure that I'm going to be able to get what I need to enjoy my hobby to the fullest. Um, and even so, our store, he he understands his customers so well that if you ask him for something that he can get, but it's not worth, worth it for you for him to get it for you, He'll gladly tell you, hey, look, listen, I know you're looking for XYZ. Chances are, if you go to Hobby Lobby, they're going to have that, what you're looking for. I can get you something like that, but if you want something of quality for painting, you might want to take a step over there. So, it seems that like he's more, I, I like stories where they seem, they're more in it for you than for themselves. So... One of our next uh, touch points is, while I know there's not always a store in the area, and that's it's a pain point for some gamers, is there a benefit to buying at a brick-and-mortar store versus, let's say, online through Amazon or mm. any of the mass amount of board game retailer online presence like mm. Miniature Market or things of that nature? Your thoughts? Um, and I'll, I'll come out and say it. For a long time, I was exclusive eBay. I would buy everything that I could off of eBay because you'd find deals on things. You would find um, sometimes used games. But at the end of the day, when you think about it, uh, you try to buy these games for less on eBay. Who knows if you're going to get a legit copy where proceeds of that are actually going to the developers. Um, Who knows if you buy a used copy if you're going to get everything. And... Like that $9 Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. I was willing to try it. $150 MSRP game. $9 on eBay. (laughs) We both knew it was a scam. We both knew it was a scam. But they showed pictures from, was it, Gen Con last year? Yeah. They had, like, all the Gen Con stuff next to it. I'm like, someone must have... Something screwy's happened here. Yeah. Never came through, but... Shocker. Shocker. But at the end of the day, if something happens with... If you buy a game and something's missing in it, it's easier to go back to the store and say, hey, look, this is what happened. And then they can go and work with their distributors to see if they can help you with that. Versus if you buy something online, it's kind of, well, 
they're not gonna want to give you that kind of detail. They don't they don't care if you come back and buy from them because they're selling stuff on eBay. They'll sell something to someone else. Right. Um one of the things I always point out and it's because I came from a retail background, you can get recommendations, you can get live feedback, and quite honestly, these are people who are living and breathing that hobby or dream. So they're kind of usually passionate. If they're not, there might be something to be discussed there. Um, And then the benefit of the ability to say, hey, what do you think of this? Or Mm -hmm. have you heard anything about this? You don't get that online. Mm -hmm. You have online reviews, yes. Uh, People rate it five stars, four stars, three stars. And a lot of times you can do a lot of research on sites like BoardGameGeek. Or you can go through like Board Game Revolution, uh, a Facebook group like that, where you can actually get a lot of uh, community input. But at the other end of the spectrum, when you're in the store, you have someone usually right there willing to help you figure Mm -hmm. out what you're looking for or what you're looking at. It's also nice because going back to Star Wars Legion, my life at this point, right now there's not a big scene in the area. For Star Wars Legion, X-Wing's pretty huge out here. Uh, Destiny's uh, pretty big out here. Talking to owners of these stores, if they know someone who plays it or has played it, um, they can always try to hook you up and make sure that you can play against someone, see if anyone's willing to come out and and bring out their, their minis just for a, a small game or something. Right. Now, next prompt I have for you, Mr. Ricky... What makes a friendly local gaming store a friendly local gaming store? I know we kind of defined it, but what what's that special something that they can pull off that makes it a that you would call it a friendly local gaming store versus your local gaming store? Well, I mean, pretty much the non big box store feel to it, the non the non like franchise feel to this, where it's not someone coming in collecting a paycheck. And they just want you to buy something and, and keep moving. You come in, like you said, these people are very passionate about it. They have their pulse on on the hobby. They know what's coming out. Uh, they can give you suggestions. So just the level of care and detail that goes into them performing their job versus a big box store. That's fair. I would definitely agree with that too. So it, it's that above and beyond customer service that you don't really get in a target per se mm-hmm. um while target does carry a wide selection of board games now and it's not a bad place to kind of get your feet wet you're not going to get any input from a target employee for the most part about what these things are what what's mm-hmm. going on there let's let's go kind of pros and cons things that make a store good versus things that don't really make a store good what are some of the things that you look for in a store that makes you come back Someone who has a wide variety of not only items available in the store, but their own interests to keep up with all those things within their store. Versus, you can walk into certain stores, unless you're playing Magic the Gathering, they have a small little section of everything else, but they're really looking for the people who are going to only play Magic the Gathering. Not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing if you are in really into Magic the Gathering, that's a great place to go. But for someone who who wants to have variety and be able to talk about different things, it's nice to have someone who's willing to accommodate that 
accommodate everyone when they come in. I'm a little bit different, but again, I think that's my background that that speaks to a little bit more things I actually personally look for in a store. Um, Cleanliness. Are your shelves organized? Are they easy to find a game? If I can walk into your store and figure out how you have things organized in a board game wall, I'm much happier. Mm -hmm. If I can understand that A, it's alphabetical by title, or B, maybe things are grouped up in sections, like these are family games, these are strategy games, these are co-op games. Um, As we kind of talked on our last episode, games kind of can fall into several different categories, so that can be a little tricky. Um, I would say organized by publisher is another way I've seen. Mm. Less of a fan of that because you everything has its pros and cons. To actually be truthful, is if you're alphabetical, then you're not going to necessarily see the things that you're looking for if you don't know that name. If it's organized by publisher, you're looking at the fantasy flight section. You're not going to see that random Simon game that might beat up your alley because it's you know six shelves mm. over. Um. So organization and cleanliness of the store are typically two things I always kind of mm-hmm. take note of. So you saying that, it makes me wonder if we're different We're different shoppers when it comes to it. Now, are you a peruser? Are you someone who goes in and looks at the wall of games to see if there's anything that interests you? I'm a little bit of both. Okay. There, so that some, makes some sense. Of my sh- some of my shopping ex- expeditions are, I'm looking for this thing, let me go find this. And then there's other times I'll go in and go, what's going to call to me today? What am I looking for? And not really have a goal in mind other than maybe there'll be a new game out that I haven't seen yet that I want to pick up. That's the difference. I can't do that because I'll come home with way too much. So I go in, I know what I want. And the cleanliness, definitely. I do like organization where if I go, okay, I need Star Wars, X-Wings here... Warhammer's here, uh, everything else is over here. I do like that, mm-hmm. but I'm laser focused on the thing that I need to grab when I walk in. Okay, um, let me see other things that I look for in a store. Um, usually, other gamers gaming mm. is usually a good sign. If you got people in your store playing a game, enjoying themselves. That's a, usually a plus sign that you're saying, hey, people actually want to spend their time there. You're doing something to make the environment happy where they want to come out and do that. Opposed to sitting at home in their basement or in their family room or wherever they play their games at home. One of the other pieces I tend to look for is just kind of that awareness from the staff. It's it's that ingrained retail knowledge of me. If I walk into a store, and no, I can literally walk into a store. I did this in... Uh, couple days ago at walmart i walked in i did not speak to a single human being for 30 minutes while in that store not even while checking out because they have self-checkout now it's almost unnerving at at one point you walk little past bit. people and they don't they don't look at you and i've i've been in game stores like that where you walk in and the person sitting behind the the counter and they don't say anything you no just walk around yeah and that that is definitely a key just at least, thanks for coming in. Hey. Thanks for coming in. Hey, are you looking for anything? You need that acknowledgement. And for the most part, again, I'm going to keep referring back to my my, my retail habits. Mm-hmm. That's a determined uh, deterrer of theft. Mm-hmm. Loss Prevention 101. You, as soon as I greet you, you know I know you're there. Mm-hmm. 
whether I'm watching you at all times or not is a different story. But a lot of a uh, lot of shrink, a lot of theft opportunity in retail stores comes from just opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to stop. You're not necessarily going to stop someone who comes in thinking, walking through that door, like I'm going to steal something from this store. But if you're ignored, if you're not being paid attention to, maybe you are, and you'll take that opportunity. It's just things I've learned over the years doing that industry that mm-hmm. there is a psychological aspect to that. Um, I think that may hit all of the the pros, the things that I'm actually looking for in a store. Uh, community events, things like that are always beneficial. Um, if there's a calendar of, say, hey, you know what, I'm looking for an RPG group, or I'm looking for a board game, open board game night, or, mm. hey, I'm just trying to get into X-Wing or Shadespire. If you have a bulletin board event list, say, hey, we've got these things coming up. Those are all factors that help that store grow and make people want to come back. Mm. Because maybe, oh, I am playing uh, that game. Let me go back and check it out with other people and see what they do. So we're going to flip the switch. Turnoffs. Turnoffs would definitely be um, feeling like you're not or you're you're not seen within the store. Walking around, picking things up, looking at items, and not having anyone ask you questions about that. I may know a lot about whatever I'm holding. I may know nothing about what I'm holding. I may just be in here to figure out what I want to take home with me. If no one comes up to me and talks to me. Or lets me know, or, or acknowledges my curiosity. It doesn't really bode well. I chances are, am less willing to buy something from that store. Um. Yeah. No. Definitely. And, you know, no one engaging you really makes you like, why am I going to buy here? I can do the same encounter on, you know, online in my pajamas at home, mm-hmm. or maybe Sans pantalones. <laughs> you know. Fair enough. It's your own home. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely agree that's a big turnoff. One of the things that I have, um, as I've traveled and visited other towns and visit the stores, because, well, I'm in the hobby, that's what I do. Mm. You know, I, oh, I'm being sent over to Georgia for uh, two days or two weeks or whatever for work. Let's see what stores are in the area, and I'll check out a couple stores or one store. So, one of the things that I've seen, um, sometimes cleanliness... I, I kind of hit it on one of my things I look for. A dirty bathroom or just dirty store in general usually will make me not buy anything. Mm. It it might just be me. I don't... If you're not going to take care of your store, I just don't feel inclined to help you. Yeah, and in the same vein, being overcluttered, having so much stuff there mm-hmm. that you can't necessarily go through and look at everything... There's a fine balance point. If you can't, if you have so much stuff that your shelves are literally like shoulder to shoulder, and like I can't walk through an aisle of product mm-hmm. and pass another patron, mm-hmm. you have too much stuff, or you have too much stuff for the size of store that you are. I've seen it in both ways. I've seen a store have the same amount of stock between one store to another, but one store was much more open, and it didn't feel cluttered. Yeah. Even though they had probably the same, if not more, selection. Mm-hmm. It was just the layout and, and the pre- presentation and the merchandising that they did was that much better. Mm-hmm. Um, another turnoff for me, typically, and it all depends on the era and the group, is your community and your culture. that You've cultivated into your store. 
there are certain gamer groups that are very toxic or very unwelcoming and the kind of a lack of a better term boys club sort of situation where they play with their friends and they don't want other people to come in and play games with them even though they're in a public place in a public store yeah that is something that takes me away from a location if i can walk in and go hey what are you guys playing and then them turn around and say oh we're playing legend of five rings you want to learn you want to play come on in that isn't necessarily the stores per se it's not the fault that they're there but you want to draw in a crowd that's going to be more open to correct yeah it's 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 not a direct result of a store owner or store employee that's doing that but it is an element that's being allowed to flourish in the store that could be discussed reviewed and like hey guys can you be more welcoming you know people get turned away because you guys are just hanging out here and not really you know being friendly mm-hmm uh, it's every store and every group is going to have to have that conversation or 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 um, conversation or discussion, whatever you want to say. And sometimes it may be, hey, if you guys aren't going to be welcoming, why are you here? Could be that discussion. I'm not saying it has to be, but you want to say, hey, we're, we're trying to make a community here. Why aren't you more welcoming? Is really the best message you want to have. Anything else? Friendly local gaming stores. We've been talking about this for a little bit here. Keep going to them. I mean, that's that's what I'm going to really have to say. I mean, we've seen stores come and go. There's been a lot of stores that have stood the the test of time. But if everyone keeps moving to Amazon or eBay or anywhere else, you're not going to find a place where everyone can just meet up and play a game. You want to find those friendly local uh, gaming shops, and you want to be able to... To give them your business and your patronage. Keep the community alive. Mm-hmm. You may be paying more than online. But with uh, MAP or Mac, uh, minimum advertised pricing. Which a lot of board game developers have been pushing. Where you have a set price that you cannot advertise below that. Where you have a set price where you can't advertise below that number. Whether it be 10% off, 20% off. That is what they're trying to do to prevent that online market. And even if your store is at MSRP and that that suggested price, there's usually a discount program or something like that that they're running that will eventually get you that 10% off range where, yeah, you know, every $10 you spend, you get a stamp. Every stamp, you collect 10 stamps, you get... 10 bucks off mm-hmm. or you know they'll do something of that nature to help entice that that returning customer which is a good thing and the big piece i have to say about that is you're paying a little bit more yes but you're paying for that location that community that store that knowledge and is it really worth five ten bucks to you yeah now granted if you buy a game pre-owned on ebay things like that yes you can get a, a, a crazy crazy deal on things i'm not going to discredit that i'm saying a game comes out brand new versus a, do you buy it online or buy it in the store i usually almost will always go to the store unless it's something i kickstarted and a lot of times a lot of my kickstarters now are 
doing retailer level pledges. So I'm actually going to my local store and saying, hey, can you back this for me? I want to buy it through you. You get the same thing. They get it about the same time you would anyway. But then they're getting a part of that money, even though you're spending like the exact same money, whether you backed it yourself or not. So I think that's enough about friendly local gaming stores. If you have any questions, concerns, write to us, as we said. Uh, we'll definitely you know, be answering our emails and, and putting them on the show. And Unless, of course, you somehow flood our email box, which I will not complain about the first time it happens. The second time I will, but the first time I won't. Promise. I'll read through it. Well, that's why I pay you. You don't pay me. Oh, right. We don't get oh. paid. Womp womp. Um, so let's talk about some spooky games. Oh, spooky. It's it's raining cats and dogs outside. Not cool. Well, they're not living together, but <laughs> No anarchy just yet. Yeah. We're uh we're at that time where everyone's going uh walking through corn mazes, you're carving pumpkins, you're getting ready to enjoy yourself some Halloween. Not just Michael haunted Myers. houses. Yeah. I went through all the haunted houses over the weekend. Uh, and All of them. He's not kidding. All of them. Uh, and sometimes you just want to have a night in. I just did six haunted houses on Sunday. I am okay staying in for a few days, play a few games, get that creep factor without having to have someone yell in my face. Gotcha. So I've got some recommendations then. Let's do this. So, if you want a haunted house story game mm. where you're not necessarily knowing what team you're on, you kind of all enter the house together, you're kind of exploring the house, and then something happens and one of you has betrayed the rest of the group and is trying to either blow them up or some other crazy story. Oh, I know. That's, oh, this is... That's Betrayal at House on the Hill um, by put out by uh Whiskids. and it's a very fun game gets a lot of those really good horror tropes into it one of the benefits is every time you play you're going to get a different story out of it because mm. at a certain point during the game an event will trigger and depending on what card and what room in the house triggered it will be a, one of the up to 50 different stories in the book that the game comes with. And if you get the expansion, it adds another 50, so up to 100 different scenarios that you play through. Um, some of them are more co-op, some of them are more head-to-head. Either way, it's a fun game. Gets a little bit of that tension and that, that, that horror factor in there for you. It's a spooky house that you're exploring. You don't know why until about midway through the game, and then you figure out, huh, yeah, no. Why, why are we in here again? Because this was a horrible idea. So another game, besides Betrayal, um, by Twilight Creations, called Zombies. A game about running away from the zombie apocalypse, getting to the helipad. It's one of those tile-laying games. Very easy to pick up, very easy to learn. Um, one of the more entry-level games, because it's really just moving your figures around, collecting guns and ammo, and trying to get, the, get through the zombies to get to the end of the pile of tiles, so that you can find the helipad and get the hell out of there. Piles of tiles. Piles of tiles and bags of zombies. Ooh, yes. It also has a lot of expansions, which kind of continue, like you're in a town trying to get out there, and then there's um, dogs, zombie dogs show up at one point, there's the sewers that allow you to get from one place to the other, uh, military base, there's there's a whole bunch of different add-ons so you can kind of keep going and expanding your zombie story further. 
if you want something fast, Zombie 15. A little bit lighter, not as scary, but still a zombie-themed game, so I felt it was appropriate. Um, you have 15 minutes live to take all of your turns. We kind of talked about this on another episode because I played it recently. And the idea is you have 15 minutes to beat whatever scenario you are, and zombies are involved. And to no surprise, it should be that I will recommend the Arkham Horror Files games. With the new Arkham Horror coming out this quarter, uh, this quarter, I would say hold off, get third edition. I will be I will be playing that a lot coming up once I get my hands on a real copy of it. The best feeling or theme to get in a spooky mood and have a game really just invite you in and then kind of try to creep the heck out of you is Mansions of Madness. One of the things I love about Mansions of Madness is it is an app-driven game, so it's fully co-op. The app has its own soundtrack and score, so when you open a door, it will play a door-cracking noise. It sets you up in such a way if, like, you enter the mansion and then off to the left is the kitchen and then crash something in you know plays an audible crash of like you heard something in the kitchen do you want to investigate probably but maybe not um i walk right back outside close the door and done and go home yes but i feel it's one of those games that because of the app component to it it does a very good job of setting a scene setting a mood because music and, and sound effects are very big um horror tropes if you like a dice chucker and just want to throw dice until you know kind of like a yahtzee-ish game uh, elder sign it's that lovecraftian horror plus dice rolling if you want more higher player count or a, a party game ultimate werewolf is usually my go-to or if you want a Lovecraftian twist on it, do you worship Cthulhu? That is your social deduction game. We kind of talked about it last episode. You're looking at where one or more players are a werewolf trying to murder people in the village. Everyone goes to sleep at night. The werewolves will quote-unquote wake up, which means those players open their eyes and collectively point to one of the random innocent villagers who will wake up in the morning. Well, they won't wake up in the morning. They're dead. And then everyone starts accusing each other who's the werewolf and they're trying, you know, they're trying to figure out who the werewolf is. And the great thing about that game is it's one of the fun games to play at, like, Halloween parties. Because it could support to some stupid number of players. Ultimate Werewolf, I don't even know what it caps out at anymore. But I've, I've played 30-player games. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. Well, people die fast. Um... Going back to our zombie theme, we talked about Gen 7 on our Gen Con episode, but uh, the first Crossroads games, Dead of Winter, survival horror in a zombie apocalypse, definitely has a lot of tension. There's a hidden traitor mechanic to the game that's really good. Um, pretty good on entry level players. If you're creeped out by zombies, definitely not, but we're talking about horror games, so I, I can't get away from zombies. I'm sorry. Wait till Gen 7. No zombies in there that I'm aware of. If you're lucky enough to still have a copy, The Fury of Dracula by Fantasy Flight, or coming soon, they're reprinting it for from WizKids, that is another hidden movement game. One player plays Dracula, everyone else is the classic Dracula hunters. Running around Europe trying to find Dracula. Also, Dracula hates trains. Don't ask why, he doesn't trust them. It says so in the second edition rules. I don't blame him. Right. They're always up to something. Always up to something. 
Rail. going places quickly. Like Ooh. they're running away from their problems. I was going to say they were railroading you. <laughs> but either way, it's a really fun game. And the uh, suspension is, and, and threat is Dracula's running around literally creating new vampires. And at a certain point, he's just going to win because he overwhelms you. And you're just trying to take him down and find him before he does that. Uh, Coma Ward um, was a recent Kickstarter that came out where everybody wakes up in an insane asylum. They don't know anything about themselves and you don't really know what the story of the game is until you start exploring the, the environment. And there's like 12 different cassettes that you can have depending on which scenario you want to play and each one's going to be very different. Um, they added some interesting mechanics to the game that were everyone had like a tick or phobia or a quirk where um, the one I kind of sampled when I was looking at it um, literally you watch the other players until they scratched themselves like a head scratch you know there's itchy whatever and then you would slowly put these counters on that card not saying a thing just keep doing it and if you collect it enough you got to flip the card and get a get an ability <laughs> It brought a little tension to the game because people are doing things and you're not exactly sure why they're doing it. Another co-op <clears throat> co game. Less on the scary side, but definitely on the hard side. Uh, ghost Stories. Sounds spooky. Sounds spooky. You are you're a bunch of Taoists and you are in an ancient village who is being overrun by ghosts. And you're trying to battle the ghosts and the demons and things like that. As one ancient city would be like it's true they usually have a ghost problem no. but normally they're they're supposed to be like the the your your ancestors and welcoming and guiding no these are like the angry mean ones so ghost stories is a lot of fun also gloom i think gloom is a great game for halloween because you're trying to make your personal family miserable you have these translucent cards and you're playing bad stuff on yourself but good things like hey you had a baby on another player's family to make them happy. But the entire game is to literally make your people as miserable as possible and then kill them. And you kind of get this narrative as you play cards of like, oh wow, their life really sucked. <laughs> Sometimes it makes you feel good about your own life at that point. <laughs> um, Such an uplifting game. It is. It is. Uh, we talked about last Friday already. Slasher, mm -hmm. Hidden Movement, really fun for that. Um, one of my I want to say favorite up to seven players can play this one. Mysterium. There is an app. I don't like the app personally. The AI is all weird. It's clue. It's co-op clue with ghosts. But it's not truly co-op either because there's a winner at the end. But the ghost is communicating with all the other players who are psychics by giving them these tarot-sized tarot cards with abstract art, interesting colors, all sorts of things. Trying to get you to guess um, a person. Mm -hmm. And then once you guess your person, you move on to the next level where you get to guess your place. And then once you guess your place, the next thing is weapon. So the ghost is trying to communicate through these vision cards how they died and get these psychics to say, Oh, I know who killed you. It was the butler in the mm -hmm. billiard room with a lead pipe. Similar to Clue like that. You know, where if that that's the case. Reverse clue. Kind of reverse clue. The ghost is already dead, but he's trying to tell you the answer. Mm -hmm. So 
the the game is beautiful it is co-op if not everybody gets all of their clues within x within enough rounds everybody loses but the end if everybody gets to the end the ghost will actually get to pick one is one of the sets of clues either you know player one player two player three's sets of cards and they give a final vision and everybody votes what they think that final vision is based on the groups that are out there and if the most wins i've seen the game fall apart at this point because everybody thinks it's this and it's something else um it is the most frustrating game to play as the ghost because you're literally ready to scream at your players but you can't talk because well you're dead And one last suggestion, if you like a solo uh, sort of horror genre, there is a couple of graphic novel choose-your-own-adventures that I discovered. Hmm. Um, I will. They're not all horror-themed or spooky-themed, but the first one was. It's called The Captive. It's by put out by Van Ryder Games. And the other one I would possibly suggest, less spooky but still supernatural and, and thematic, was called Loop Guru, which you become a werewolf, and then you have to do a graphic novel, choose your own adventure as a werewolf. So, yeah, very cool. Um, anything that you could think of that uh, I did not mention? A spooky theme on it? Definitely Boss Monster. You play as a monster, you're luring in heroes to your cave. And the art's just fun. You're building a cave. It has all kinds of different traps. You're trying to kill these people within your cave. Very easy to play. Very easy to start up. Very easy to teach. And it's just a ton of fun. Not so much on the spooky side, but all the art is a nod to something horror-related or video game-related. So it kind of hits two markets in one. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've hit a lot of... The yes. ones I would suggest. I did good. Yeah, you did pretty good. Now, obviously, I will capstone that this is not a comprehensive or complete list, or, you know, your mileage may vary mm-hmm. on these games, but definitely um, some avenues to explore. You know what? I thought of one other one. Not horror-themed. Mm-hmm. I guess you can get a horror-themed version of it. But if you want the white-knuckle tension of a game... Play Pandemic. Yeah. Now, I mean, they even have... There's Reign of Cthulhu, Pandemic. So if you want to put a little bit more of a spooky theme to it, you can. It's just as good. But the original game is just great for that. I think we can make it. If everything goes right, we can make this and we can win. Flip, flip. Nope, you just lost six different ways all at once because the game was just that mean to you. So I think that will uh, kind of cover it for our spooky games. The other thing that I want to at least highlight coming up is I'll be attending Arkham Knights 2018 in Roseville, Minnesota uh, in a couple weeks here. And I hope to have a nice good report uh, back on that, of my adventures, what I've seen, what I've experienced, what I like, what I don't like. As well as, um, hopefully, cross my fingers... I come home with an Arkham Horror 3rd Edition game where I'm going to play the living hell out of it until We're I can't play. We're going to play the living hell out of it until right. we can't play anymore. Which, we'll probably do our very first review based on that game. Mm-hmm. And actually uh, dive deep into a whole episode of that game mm-hmm. and break it break it down from its components to 
what it plays like, what it's like, what we like, what we don't like, etc. So forth. Mm. So, until next time, this is Justin. And this is Ricky. May the rolls be with you, always. You've been listening to Tabletop Arcanum, hosted by Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, and featuring the original music by Paul Moore and Isaac Gilbert. You can follow us on most social media platforms. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for listening.